Hi there, and welcome to episode 58 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Mike McConti. Mike is the founder of the Humans First Club, an incredible movement of people-focused professionals and individuals. Uh, he's just recently launched the Humans First Playground, and I'm really excited to introduce him to you. Um, for those of you that don't know him, he's got a real passion uh, to see people come together, and he's engaged around the belief that we can all do better, and we can all do better together. I also really smiled when Mike spoke about the fact that old dogs can learn new tricks, um, breaking that old adage. Um, this is with reference to him proactively and vulnerably seeking feedback from his network uh, when he made an intentional shift in his career around three years ago. So there's loads to take away, as you'd expect with Mike. I really hope that whether you're a new listener or an established listener to this podcast, that you take on learning takeaways away. As always, we're grateful if you don't mind sharing one or two of those via the different social media uh, platforms. And indeed, if you do enjoy this podcast, please help us reach more followers by leaving a review at the iTunes podcast app. So again, look forward and enjoy this conversation with Mike Baconti. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast that is dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And I am so, so, so excited on this episode, episode 58, to bring one of the leading human-centered people that I'm grateful to know onto the show, which is Mike Vacanti, who is a speaker, consultant, CEO advisor, but also founder of the Humans First Club. So good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing today? Hello, Gary. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here in this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Look, there's going to be a lot of people that do know you listening to this podcast, but I'd really like you to introduce yourself and maybe let those that don't know you yet get a little bit more under the skin. So who is Mike Bacanti? What's your background? And what are you passionate about right now, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll hit the passion thing to start with and, 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 and then we'll go into the background a little bit, Gary. But the, 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 the passion for me right now is, is really to see people um, come together and engaged around the belief that we, we can do better. And, and it really, for me, it's really that simple. It's, it's embracing the hope that that's available for us. And not only finding my way to the surface, but the joy in lifting others up as well. Um, that's what I'm really passionate about. There's just great joy in that. And, you know, from a background standpoint, it was, it was really three years ago that I, that I went through a change from a professional standpoint, um, coming back to Minnesota from Seattle, Washington, where I spent two years doing my fifth merger and acquisition and taking a look at what would be next. And um, this consulting was something that started out of necessity and then the whole journey of figuring out what is it exactly that I am passionate about. And that is interesting. And, and there was a, a whole background to that of, of going through um, a deep dive with a coach and, you know, big thick packets for a 360 review from, you know, former employees, bosses, clients, partner organizations, even friends, and figuring out what what was the experience around me from other people's perspective and going through five mergers and acquisitions where my teams always performed extraordinarily well even though there was chaos and fear and doubt surrounding those situations um i knew i was a common denominator but i couldn't tell you why all those things happened and this helped me understand and and really get clarity around what some of those keys were. And um, so I built that into a program and then started having a bunch of brilliant conversations that evolved and led to further ideas. And then I stumbled into 
this Humans First Club concept, and it truly has become the 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 joy of my life. It's it's the most expensive and time consuming volunteer thing I've ever done, but it is absolutely full of joy and um, opportunity to connect and meet people like you, Gary. Well, I really appreciate that. And I, I love that richness, Mike, of you, you talk about that experience of seeking out that 360 feedback. Have you always been comfortable to seek feedback from other people? Or was that something that's happened only in the last few years for you out of interest? Oh, yeah, that, that was a, that was a new approach for me. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was a lot of trepidation going into it. Actually. I, I have been pretty strong-minded in my beliefs, and that served me well. So I would say that I probably wasn't very open to feedback. Um, there might have been some interest in feedback, only to know, you know, which point of the argument I needed to win. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I never really um, sat back that open and willing. And it's amazing how profound that became in informing these last three years of, I think, tremendous personal growth. Old dogs can learn new tricks. <laughs> I love it. We're straight into myth busting, Mike. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. So, so can you pinpoint what was, it, if you don't mind exploring that, what particularly was it for you as Mike? that went, hey, I'm not, no, I'm not always been comfortable with seeking feedback proactively, but I feel now is my time to start doing that. What was going on for you at that point in time? It was, it was another turning point and another remaking of myself, Gary. And I, you know, there, there's been times when I've been in job interviews and people have looked up and down my resume and said, Mike, you know, this is interesting, but you really look like a job hopper. And of course, I wanted to respond to that saying, I could explain away those things. But I really wanted to say, you know, job hopping is for underachievers. This is my fourth career. Um, so I've, I've been through a lot of significant changes. And this time, I didn't have a lot of clarity on what that looked like. So there was, there was a need there to look at things differently and try another path. Um, I had been pretty confident in my path before. And, and this one, I, I had uncertainty and I asked for help, which is not something I'm very good at. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it speaks to this podcast wonderfully. You know, you had the vulnerability to seek input when you would not necessarily always have done so. So I just really applaud you for doing that. And, and what I think is powerful, you've just spoken to me about the acceleration or your personal growth the last three years since you did lean into that vulnerability. So isn't that fascinating? We lean it into really it is. and suddenly we explode. Yeah, I, I, I love the way you frame that back to me because I, I don't think I had really looked at it through that lens as clearly as you just helped me. But... Yes, it opened up so many pathways. Um, maybe even took down the barriers before me be, w- without having to worry about them, which is pretty phenomenal uh, vision that it created. That's so awesome. So can you speak a little bit about the Humans First Club? So obviously that's your most recent you said it's costing you a lot of time and money. Uh, <laughs> hopefully your, your family's on board with that, Mike. <laughs> yes, you know, and it is interesting because I'm not going through this journey alone. My children, um, I have five children and, and they're grown adults. They're on their own. They're doing very well. Um, my brother tells me thanks, you know, thankfully to my wife. But we, um, you know, my wife and I have had um, a great time through this journey while it's been uncertain um, very very you know op- open discussions about um, where um, where it can go 
and we talk about you know family wellness and everything else you know each decision we make there can be gains and sacrifices and i think that sometimes we need to weigh those sacrifices against the gains and maybe choose the sacrifice rather than the gain and we've kind of together decided that being in a place of openness and of giving at this point of ourselves um, has been more beneficial to set up this next chapter of our lives or, or this next season than in getting and taking. And um, I, 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 I'm, it, it provides so much, uh, I think I have gratitude with that and it really, um, opens up possibilities, which is kind of core to what I get up and, you know, try to live every day and, and, and provide hope and, and encouragement and, and lift others into that sense of possibilities. I think that gets stripped away from us sometimes. That's really, really beautiful. Um, I want to come back to that stripping away point, Mike, but I really like what you said, because for me, what's coming up is when you talk about going with the sacrifice over the gain, as it were. For me, that's courage. That's being courageous to take a risk without assurance. Is that what you're speaking to? Is it something different? Yes, it is. Um, it, it, it's, it's an investment of a different kind, right? It, um, it's being willing to step away from what's known and comfortable um and certainly there there is risk in the sacrifice because i i didn't know what the outcome would be um and so you know it's courageous stepping into that um higher level of risk because i'm intentionally not setting the outcome i'm only setting the plan for the path forward uh, and that's really counterintuitive to, you know, what we're, what we're trained to believe and enact kind of in, in our, in our days. It's what's really lovely. Like your, your level of, I've used this language, our, our mutual friend, Kevin Monroe before is the congruence of how you show up, Mike, by the different forms of media, us talking now, by the videos that you post on LinkedIn. It's a really wonderful thing to say. And I want to say I really appreciate how you do show up with that congruence because I think with all these different media outlets, the ways we can channel our emotions, how we speak, how we communicate, it can be very easy to be misaligned with who we really are. And I think you, you seem to be really well aligned with who you are. Well, that's a tremendous compliment. And I, and I really appreciate that. Um, the... the It starts really, in, it's, you know, I have an intent when I start every day, Gary, and it's become a practice now for, I guess I'm coming up on a year, but, but, but truly I start my day with quietness and some meditation. And, and I started zeroing in on a simple intent of two words, and I've mentioned them already here in the conversation, and that is lift others and that is how i start my day that becomes my true north my intention and at the end of the day i i finish with a reflection of three words is it better did i help someone today did i do something that made someone's day or my family or those around me or somebody's business career, or a company? Did I do something today that made the world just a little bit better? And that's kind of how I measure myself day to day, is five words. It's, it's really become simplified. I think, that's, I think that's really powerful. I'm learning a lot from you with that, Mike, because we can overcomplicate can't we we can overthink our way down many many rabbit holes i've done it many times in my career um 
there's something in that simplicity, isn't there? Well, there's so much complexity around us right now, Gary. And, and I think that that's what's really driving, you know, a lot of the, the I don't know, energy inside the Humans First Club right now is we're surrounded with so much complexity and it's not going away. And there, we aren't finding the silver bullet to, to calm all that or put it to rest. I think that we truly are at an inflection point that we're at a time when with that complexity and you know volatility that that's around us we're seeing change at a more significant and a more rapid pace than at any time in history and all indications are that it will accelerate um at the same time we're at a point where our human capacity as a workforce for companies might be at one of its all-time lows. And that is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place for us as individuals. It's a dangerous place for companies, for employers to have lowered capacity at a time when the need for that human capacity is, is expanding. I believe that is the energy behind these conversations we're having around humans first. How do we expand that human capacity at this time of need and help each other through that? So, yes, I think that not only do we make things complicated for ourselves, but a lot of it is response to the environment. Um, things are complicated around us. And it's hard to believe we can solve by quieting down. It seems like we need to become part of the noise. And, and I, I think there's a lot of learning in, in that um, paradox. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think one of, one of my interesting parts at the moment, having a lot of conversations, Mike, around, so everyone talks about, you know, we're coming out of the industrial revolution, you know, people are cogs in a wheel in a machine, everyone has that language. But I think something that we're not really doubling down on is the clarity between the human, as you're looking at with humans first, and the process. So people talk about, you know, the system or the organization or whatever, but I don't think we're being clear enough. I think what we're talking about is, if you really back the human to design a more human-centered process, everything will flow and will unleash human potential. If we rely on the process first and then hope the human will fit in, we will continue with the same issues. I'm wondering what your thinking is around that. Well, I, I'm 100% with you on that, Gary. And, and I am because that's been my experience is, um, again, through those you know, mergers and acquisitions. And you know, I, was, I was running big business units, right? So there's, there was sizable revenue that I had P&L responsibility for and large teams of people and you know they were it was in a complex industry in technology and so what i learned is we find that given the opportunity people will amaze us um we just need to give them the opportunity and it's less about orchestration and instruction is uh, allowing people to find that belief in getting to the outcome and then finding their way to it. Um, and uh, I, I, I do believe, you know, again, through those five mergers and acquisitions that people are capable of so much and they don't need to be told and orchestrated how to get things done. Um, in each situation, the, processes that were in place were really built around everybody being the same. And so there was one best way to do something. Well, I, you know, I was 40 years old before I was ever thrown into an organization that operated that way. I had been an entrepreneur the first couple of decades of my career. And, and so that thinking was, was not natural to me. And when I witnessed it, I never really bought in or agreed to it. So while my teams always 
did very, very well. I, I was told several times that the way I operated was not right. Even though you're doing 150% of objectives and things are wonderful and you know, you're, you're getting bonuses and winning awards and doing all that, um, we don't like the way you do it. It's not the way we do it. And, and so when I look at you know, process and people, Gary, I really think this, that having a great respect in the complexities of running a business and operational excellence and the things that are needed and, and the responsibilities of making good decisions. Um, we put a lot of pressure on senior executives, but they already have a lot of pressure on them. Um, decisions that they have to make are weighty and they would rather not have to make all of those decisions. But I think that when I look at business and, and um, what can happen with a human-centered approach is, is it's not all or nothing. Um, we talk so much about disruption and transformation and we talk about execution and you know it, it kind of we use these words it sounds like walking through a forest with a machete right it's like everything's really you know pretty volatile and 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 it's going to need a violent reaction to to create a path and i think it's a series of small tweaks and and consistency with that and in so, when we take a look at business, I'm getting to my point very slowly here, but if we take a look at each of the core processes of our business, and we simply take that one process, isolated unto itself, and say, what does that look like if we put humans first? Does anything in that process become reordered? Do we change that process? Does it help the process? So it's not ripping out all things business in current day and moving drastically to something else. It's simply realigning our thinking, our mindset, our priorities on each of the things we operate every day. And if we're operating with most of those things in a human-centered fashion, it's likely that they'll be more aligned, and it's likely that we can move people successfully through change. Um, that's what I teach, consult on, cons uh, um, believe in, and occasionally I find a client that's willing to go that route and believe in that also. <laughs> I, I, I love how eloquently you shared that because there's a couple of things coming up for me. First of all, I was on this incredible three-day leadership event with NextJump, the software house, last, last Wednesday to Friday. And they spoke exactly to your point around what we'll call marginal gains. And what was really interesting though, Mike, was and I never thought of it in this way. As, you know, as the biological systems that we are as human beings, we can only deal, apparently according to science, with 2% change at any one time whatever that means to you, you know, whatever your system looks like. But it was just a real revelation for me that was like, oh my God, of course. Of course, you can't, of course transformation is going to fail if we try and do 50, 60, 70% at once. Because we, we, we physically cannot process it. Well, and we think of how, you know, there, there's, the, I, I go back and forth between using the word empower or emancipate, right? So if we want to emancipate ourselves from the current state, then, then what do we change? And, and part of that change, Gary, I think is, is there a way where everybody in the organization, that line managers, you know, down the organizational trail or outside, if we look expanding out toward the client, have the power to make decisions and operate where they're positively affecting their teams around them. And my answer to that is absolutely yes. And, and we can find ways to do that. What often happens is somehow we want to point back to the one person 
that has the big job and say, well, nothing will change till they change their mind. And I believe that we can do so much good work in the masses of an organization rather than trying to force an epiphany on the one person with the biggest job. Um, it's wonderful if it happens, but the likelihood of creating positive change within an organization and having that affect the one person is greater than the waiting on the one person to affect change to the masses. No, it resonates so much. And for anyone that's listening to us now, do have a look at, I believe, the Human's First Playground, which Mike has very recently published. Do go and have a look. It's an incredible platform. And I shared on there recently something Mike and I had a, a discussion about around an Accenture. Um, they looked at 150 of their change projects and said, by far, most change comes from the middle out. Or indeed, even like my, my example, and my organization, bottom up. So just, just to reinforce your point, Mike. Yes. And, and doesn't that provide great hope for us? Absolutely. Right? It, it, and, and the thing is, it's not that we have to give people more tools. There's a plethora of tools, and there's even better tools being created now. And the information that's going to be available through those tools will also exponentially increase. Where we have better data, we have better information. We can make more informed decisions. So how do we get that, you know, out into the, um, out to the edges for, for people? And I would say that if things are working out on the edges, that we would have very happy CEOs that, um, um, you know, I, I also hear Gary very often and, and friends of mine that are even, you know, very aligned to the Humans First Club and the movement and, and that say we need to put people before profits. And while I do not disagree with that statement, to me, it's never been an either or. Um, my own personal experiences and journeys say that when we put people first, profits increase. We're not trading profits. We're actually expanding them much more naturally than forcing them by allowing people to step into their best selves, to their best performance, and find that belief where their outcomes, their personal big objective, can be aligned to the company objective. And that's a point that I think has been a big miss. We we've we haven't thought enough about creating that dynamic where people and their outcomes are aligned to the company outcomes um and then when they exceed them we allow them the choice to move on from there thank them for their service we allow people to grow their wings and fly away rather than try to hold them hostage so then should we rethink retention measures, things like that? And, you know, I've talked several different places and times about, I, I think that our measuring systems are something that we could, we could advance, that there's room for rethinking our measurement systems. Um, we find different ways to, you know, take a look at who, gets to put pencil or pen to the scorecard, um, right? Peer, peer review, 360, all the, the different, the, the ways to um, do assessments and measures and everything else. And I think sometimes maybe we should just put the pen down and rethink the scorecard itself. Um, and I wonder where that would get us. I love that. And you know something, for me, the metaphor for the scorecard is our people. You know, getting more of our people involved in the design of the scorecard. And particularly, as you're pointing to, Mike, those that are actually doing the job. Because this is really interesting. We talk about paradox a lot. But on the one side, I agree with you. Your senior leaders have got a lot going on. They could do without these extra pressures. But there's also an element of we don't want to seem not to have the answer at the top. So there's all these really weird 
sort of counterintuitive power dynamics at different levels of the business, which if they just sat down and said, what do we want to be? How do we want to show up? What, is, what do we want this scorecard to look like in the future? I'm pretty yeah. sure they could do that in a couple of days. <laughs> yes. And I, I, and, and I think that there is some enlightenment going on um, in, in executive boardrooms that there is some evidence of evolution taking place, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you know, it's time to connect our heart and our head, right? And until we truly are able to open up our hearts and, um, you know, we, we put so much Gary into, you know, personal growth and we, you know, so much about, um, you know, personal development and everything else and, and, you know, finding our best selves. And I think if we switch and we just, instead of always focused on being our best selves, if we just become better lovers of people that, that um, we can put some of that energy into others and the whole then grows. And I think we become, you know, residual benef- benef- uh, benefactors of that. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think it's lovely. I think, I think for me, though, as you know, part of my own journey, though, has been waking up. You know, I've woken up midlife, age 40, to the fact that I completely agree with what you're saying. But at the same time, so many people don't feel whole in themselves. Wow. So they're quite, they're quite regularly giving themselves to others, but are not actually feeling their own soul. And I think sometimes it's almost a, it's a hyper extension towards serving others first, such that the self ends up feeling depleted. So it's a really difficult fine line, I think, at times. Yes, and, and wouldn't it be a wonderful state when people can come and, and um, experience what they need to experience? That the help is there on either side of that because those that are able to give are willing to give and those in need um, um, are able to get that support and assistance. And we actually care about each other. So it happens rather than being pitted against each other. Right. And, you know, I mean, the system we've been in for a long time, all the stack ranking and everything else. I mean, I I would like to uh, believe that we can get to a, you know, we can, we can get to a pivot point from that. Um, you know, I think Jack Walsh in that era, I think he did brilliant work and we should applaud that work at that time and then agree that it's a good point to pivot from that, you know, stacking people into ranges and making them climb over each other to, to, you know, get to the surface is maybe not the best way to approach organizational development or human development. Um, I think we can do better. I love that. And I really love how synonymous it's becoming for me, you know, certainly within the, the network that you've created, the community within the Humans First Club is, as you say, there's no trade-off. You know, there's absolute value in putting equal weight on your people and on your processes and on the business model. Because I think we should also need to be wise because I'm, I'm one of these people, Mike, that'll be like people, people, people. But of course, we need a robust business model as well. So I want to put that out there. You know, we're not just talking woo-ha, you know, kumbaya around the fire here. There needs to be a good business model. But with right. the assumption, everything else I believe can be around the people. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, Gary, it's, it, I, I think I have to have that, that congruency. or I have to have that alignment in my world just because I've always been very competitive. I love to win. Um, to the point that I kind of expect to win. And, um, you know, I, I think that goes back to my, you know, love of sports and athletics and everything as I was growing up and, and continuing with that. And, you know, being able to put on that gladiator outfit and, and go at it. And, and like I said, for, you know, through my 20s, I was in, you know, family business. We had a family um, sporting goods manufacturing business. And so after coming out of my playing career, then I, you know, jumped into that business and did what 
I was natural to me and what I kind of knew was right without putting a lot of thought into it or really even being told what I needed to do. Um, so then in my thirties, when I made the switch, I, I had my own marketing company for 13 years and again, you know, invented products and, um, brought concepts to products and retailers and, you know, just did a plethora of many, many different, um, projects. And so again, it was only, you know, by chance that I ended up, um, in a roll up of, uh, of a large technology company and at an executive level. And, and, you know, all of a sudden I was in a 156,000 person organization and, and, um, um, that seemed to change everything. And I remember being 40 years old, Gary, and just kind of looking around at that point, just thinking, what happened to all these people? <laughs> Who, you know, they, they, because what seemed normal for them was very abnormal for me. I, I didn't know restrictions. I didn't know that you couldn't just go out and win the game. And I like to bring that belief and hope back to people that they deserve good things in their life. And I believe it's available. Um, and that, that, um, that's a new belief, right? So I've, I've, I have a healthy skepticism, but the cynicism has been put away. What a, what, what a lovely phrase. That's going in my wrap up notes, Mike. I love that. What a, what a fantastic quote. It, and what's really interesting is myself as, you know, as well as me having a passion like yourself for more human centered, um, you know, more human centered world or human focused world. Um, you know, I'm also in international sales. So it really resonates when you're talking about this competitive sort of approach to life, whether it comes from your sports or whether it's be the world of work. And I found it to be so freeing, actually, to be looking over at someone or coming on the humans first platform or connecting with someone on LinkedIn and connecting from a point of genuine interest and curiosity and not because you're trying to get business. Like that's, that for me is as recent as the last 12 months, really. Yeah. It, and, and isn't it amazing that you get to have that choice, Gary, that, that it becomes your approach. It becomes a changed mindset. And uh, then all of a sudden you flip to abundance rather than scarcity, right? It's not like, I don't have to go take that scrap or the piece of pie and get my hands on. I can actually grow the pie, which is, that's a wonderful place to come from. It's beautiful. So tell me, Mike, who or what is inspiring you the most right now? I like to throw a random question in at times. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's, it's the many people around me that have come into my life, Gary, that I otherwise would not have found or discovered um, had I not turned and gone down this path. Mm -hmm. And while I would like to say that I could point to one person that is really influential, I think what's amazed me the most is how many people have provided support and encouragement and, 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 and put fuel in my tank to continue along this experiment or this journey of discovery that I'm on. Um, some of those folks have, have been on your podcast. Um, and, um, you know, Kevin Monroe is one of them, Kimberly Davis, um, Renee Smith and, and um, Claude Silver, you know, has, has, you know, I, I, I truly love Claude and um, the conversations that we have and the, the belief that she sets out every day and shares for people is, it's very real. And I know that because I've gotten to know her well enough. Um, there's very good models for us out there. And, you know, Mark LeBusque has been a big supporter and, and, um, you know, help me stay strong in the pursuit. And so I, you know, I, I name names and as soon as you do, then you start leaving some out. So I apologize for those <laughs> I did not mention, 
but I wanted to really try to clarify that there have been so many wonderful people that have um, stepped in and, and, and stepped up and put energy into the whole thing without seeking any personal gain truly is inspiring. That's, that's wonderful. And, you know, I, I, I give gratitude to all the people you mentioned. And I have to say particularly Claude Sil Silver as well. When I met her in London back in February and yeah, it's just, you say the, the congruency, authenticity, the genuine care that all of the people you mentioned have for us trying to connect on a human level. It's just, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's just wonderful. It really is. And, you know, it's exciting because we can look forward into what's going to happen next, right? We're still getting together each month in these live humans first experiences. Um, I can't wait to get to other countries and make that truly global. But, you know, in the meantime, as people have raised their hands, that is what prompted me to start this playground is then let's all together create a place where we can be all together. And you've heard me say before, Gary, I mean, this, this, this whole humans first movement or humans first club is not to be owned. It's to be shared. It's not mine. It's ours. And I just, I just truly believe that it, it lives outside of me. It's not my business. It's just this thing I participate in like the rest of us do. And, you know, I'm a business person and a consultant. And so I get to play on that playground and along with everybody else, you know, I just happen to be the guy that, you know, kind of, you know, has to rake the field at the end of the day. <laughs> I, I love that. And I love the equality of the message, Mike. Look, as we look to wrap up, it's just wonderful talking to you. I want, to give, I want to give you the last word, Mike. What, is, what would you like my listeners to take away? If you was going to give one message, one sort of key, maybe call to action or, or just something to inspire them to go, go away from this conversation and maybe look into something that, uh, that you're interested in. Um, the, the, the thing that we bump into so often, Gary, and, and in my consulting business as I'm working with companies, is that disbelief that things can change. And so we have this operating with a sense of despair. And what is truly happening is there's energy and movement towards an evolved state where we can all discover and bring our gifts. Matter of fact, it's going to be necessary because there's a lot of change coming at us that will require us to grow and be different. And starting the journey on our own, even if we're not being encouraged by all of those around us, we will then end up being the leaders when that is most needed. And so my real message is just of encouragement that that all sounds really nice and pretty but it's not real in my organization. It's not allowed to happen. And what I would say is maybe not organizationally or organization wide right now, but certainly in each of the lives you touch each day. And as soon as that change starts to happen, then it expands around us. And I think what we're finding like this conversation, like the friendship I'm excited to develop with you, Gary is, then people come together and strengthen each other and it grows. And there's thousands of us. There really are thousands of us and we're finding each other. And that's a good thing. Have hope. That's, that's wonderful. And you know something, it reminds me of my, my guest from last week, Nilfa Merchant. And she talks about, we all need to celebrate our unique, what she calls onlyness, that view of the world that only we can all see. And as we join all that together, everything amplifies, which is beautiful. Yeah. And, and what a, a great service that you're bringing by, by allowing these voices into that conversation, right? A platform that, that brings 
those ideas out. And it's not one idea, it's the many ideas. And the, the arrow points in the same direction, but then we realize that, you know, there's a thousand ramps and a thousand doorways onto a better path. We don't have to all find ourselves herding through one open doorway. We can be that bridge and doorway for each other. And thank you for creating that opportunity for all of us to, to share. Well, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. And as, as, as you, can you give the details to my listeners right now? How can they find you online? And also maybe just a little bit more about the Humans First Playground. How do people sign up? What's the URL? Just maybe a little bit more detail, Mike. That would be great. Yes. You know, the playground is, is new. The playground is open. <laughs> and and, and um, it is um, humansfirstplayground.com. And the um, humansfirst.club website is for the event series itself. It talks a little bit about the, the mission and, and why, why we're here, what, what we're trying to do together. Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. There's uh, forms to fill out on each of those uh, URLs mjvacanti.com is my consulting website. So um, please reach out. I'm very accessible. I, I love people. It's uh, what gets me up and drives me every day. That's wonderful. Well, I'll make sure those details are left in the show notes. And I'll just one more thing for you, Mike. For me, you can know for sure that you've left my day better from this conversation. So thanks very much for that. Thank you, Gary. This has just been so comfortable and and uh i i just really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you lovely we'll keep in touch speak soon mike all the best thank you hi there just the valley through vulnerability host gary turner here wrapping up this awesome podcast with mike Vacante. There's a number of takeaways I'd like to share with you, but I think the, one of the key ones for me was when Mike spoke about this pivot, this change in his career three years ago, where he said that he'd been pretty confident in his path to date, but on this particular path, he had uncertainty. And as such, he asked for help, which is something that he's not good at. The beautiful thing in this, though, however, is by stepping into his vulnerability, Mike acknowledged that it opened up so many other pathways. I'd really like to hold that space for a second. For anyone that's listening, whether you're an individual leader, you have your own organization, you know, vulnerability is a strength. You know, Brene Brown talks about it. I run model this as much as I possibly can personally. There is very rarely a downside over the midterm for me um, for stepping into your vulnerability. It actually gives you power. That's certainly my experience to date. I also found it interesting when Mike spoke about the fact that he believes that we can do so much good in the work, in the world, if the masses of an organization, rather than trying to force an epiphany on one person with the biggest job. I think this is a really interesting reflection for us all. So often we hear about the need for top-down leadership, and absolutely that is critically important, I believe, um, for adoption and speed of any change. However, what if that person doesn't buy into it? What if that person is actually against change? And I've had my own personal experience of that within my work organization recently. You know, so it's an interesting juxtaposition that we have senior leaders and CEOs that potentially you could see them as a little bit of a scapegoat in a way. Actually, if the lower levels of an organization are not prepared to speak up or to take accountability for improvements or for challenging the status quo, then it could always fall on the shoulders of those senior leaders. But I'm firmly of the belief that actually if we set up environments that are safe, that are free for people to challenge and to innovate, then there's no need to have anybody um, one single person with the biggest job having to make these big decisions. And this also links to where Mike was speaking about, you know, there's so many decisions already on these people's shoulders. So why not actually delegate or empower or trust these other colleagues at the coalface who have the information to actually make more decisions and to drive innovation? I really love Mike as well when he spoke about the fact that he finishes each day with a reflection of three small words, which are, is it better? Did he help somebody today? 
did he do something that made someone's life a business career or a company um made that that little bit of the world better for them and i just think it's absolutely lovely um how these three little words really help him reflect on the on his daily practice and i just want to leave you with one other takeaway for me which i think sums up this conversation beautifully which is mike quoted that there's a thousand ramps and a thousand doorways onto a better path we don't have to find ourselves herding through one open doorway i think that metaphor is so so powerful and it's not a phrase that i've heard before and i think if we think about it again back to that point about leadership you know, why do all of us believe we need to squeeze through the same door as one particular senior leader or one particular line manager? How about we actually get our experimentation hats on? Why don't we experiment with different ways of creating new apertures in our own minds and in our organizations? You know, are there new, are there new ways of working? Are there new products you can introduce? Are there new ways you can, or new innovations around a process? And I think on that note on process, human beings are of equal value to the processes that we need in order to deliver outcomes for our businesses that is so crystal clear to me it became even clearer last week on my next jump leadership academy experience so i just love this conversation with mike i'm really pleased for the work that he's doing around the humans first club i believe that this movement which is gaining um, momentum very quickly will augment and will codent to use nila for merchants language with a range of other movements um, as we go around, there's things like Hacking HR, you have Disrupt HR as well. I have a new event which went live today, um, which is called Natural Leadership 2020. That will take place with 80 maximum people um, on the south coast of the UK with a very competitive price. Um, and it will be very much a human-centred um, two days of facilitation, including the optional overnight stay as well. So please do consider that should you be interested wherever you are in the world. It's very, very competitive at only two, four, nine pounds, all in for two days activity and an overnight stay with dinner. So do let me know if that's of interest. And again, if you have any feedback, Mike and I would gratefully appreciate it. And until next time, I've been your podcast host, Gary Turner, and we really hope to have served you through this conversation. Thanks very much.